My name is Mark Stevenson. I'm an activist, a military man, and I'm unapologetically black. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody back to my podcast. Um, I'm excited today because I got one of my closest friends, a mentor, someone who is unapologetically black, um, Jason Scott, who is in Dallas Metro, Texas area. Um, Jason, welcome to the call. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. <laughs> so you and I both, we share, uh, um, I guess you want to say, uh, you know, pleasantries all the time. Um, in, in regards to being unapologetically black, we, we were stationed together in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we both have been very, very outspoken about um, blacks in the, in the military, particularly because you and I both were in the, our, well, you were uh, in the Navy, retired out, and I'm still active duty right now for at least the next six months. And what we have seen over the years that we've been in is this high level of, um, I guess, black people not wanting to um, speak out on issues of race and the actual inequalities that happen in the military. Um, so my first question to you, um, I guess it kind of comes as a um, not just a question, but what do you feel is the reason that most black people uh, can't be unapologetically black in the military? Fear. Fear, without a doubt, it's fear. They, over 20 years, I encountered more black people than I can count that are positioned to do something to help these black sailors, these black sailors, not the people of color. Let the people of color take care of the, whatever that is. But black sailors were the ones that are disproportionately affected by Navy policy. I, I'm saying Navy exclusively because I did not witness it in the other branches, but in the Navy, I'm stationed all over this country. So one thing I saw in common is that black people had it harder. They would hold us to that disciplinary standard, but when it came to a reward system, we didn't benefit from it the same very similar to the way that it is in America, you know, in, in the civilian sector. It's very much, hey, come on, we're counting on you. We need you to do this. And then your way of showing me you appreciate my sacrifice is you give the promotion to the white guy. So yeah. that type of thing, you see it all the time. You, you've seen it. How many times have you seen it since you've been serving? Well, I've seen it a lot. Um, and it still goes on. And you and I, we both are in a, a Facebook group where there's just a bunch of black um, senior leadership, whether it's senior um, enlisted members and it's uh, officers as well. And I posed that question in that in that Facebook group because I wanted to see what people thought. And, of course, you know, you have those that are want to do respectability politics, um, and then you have some people who have uh, expressed the same level of um, disgust and, um, you know, just the same, the same way that you and I uh, feel about it. And um, I was, I was actually, uh, I kind of Google searched one day and I ran across this article in the Navy Times and it was talking about um, uh, blacks in the military, especially the Navy. And it was talking about a race riot that happened on board the Kitty Hawk. 
that I never knew even happened. And apparently, you had these sailors, these black sailors. When about did it happen? Uh, it happened in 1972. So I think I figured um, it was a while ago. Yeah. Well, and the crazy thing is, like, when I was reading this article, right? They they were talking about uh, how the black sailors uh, on the on the Kitty Hawk were treated like they were third class citizens, right? So they got all the crappy jobs. You know, they were working in the mess hall. They were painting the ship. They were doing all these things that mm-hmm. we know um, have been synonymous with being, like, the laborers for the Navy. And um, and it still goes on to this day. We we still see uh, our sailors uh, getting treated like slave labor on, on the ship. But the interesting thing about this race riot was that the, the black sailors, only represented about, I think the article says they represented probably about 2% of the ship. But these sailors were so pissed off that they started a riot where they went and started beating up uh, white sailors on the ship because they were tired of being treated like uh, they had these these issues. So they said, um, and, it, and this is kind of the title, it says, The Boiling Pot and Racial, and, and racial Explodes. Black sailors on the Kitty Hawk in 1972 were very, were very much a minority. Of a crew numbering 348 officers and 4,135 enlisted men, just five, or less than 1% were officers. Five. So five officers, five black officers out of 348, and only 297 enlisted people, men were black. Mm-hmm. So they represented 7% of the enlisted crew. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of attributed the the reason why the uh, the black sailors weren't treated fairly. They said life wasn't very good for those enlisted blacks either. Most had scored low on the qualification exam. We know that to be the ASVAB due to lower average education levels than whites and were more likely to be placed in less desirable jobs within the Navy. Now you mm-hmm. both, you you and I both have been recruiters. Yep. And we know this to be true. Yep. Um, we we were stationed in North Carolina. We would get the young black black kids come in that came from Enloe and Enloe High School and um, Southeast Raleigh and Millbrook and Sanderson. Nightdale. Mm-hmm. Nightdale, exactly. They would come in and they would score lower on the ASVAB. But some of these kids qualified for other jobs. And the mm-hmm. Navy would push them because we had a mission to do. The Navy would push these kids into being boats mates, cooks, uh, supply people, and some of some of the jobs that we consider the less desirable jobs. So this, mm-hmm. so this ain't something that just started, you know, over the last ten years. This is this is 1972, and we know back then the uh, black people really didn't get the opportunity to go into jobs like you you and I did where we're engineering jobs like being nuclear engineers and being ITs. They didn't get the opportunity to do that back then. So they were cutting potatoes and painting the boat, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so this article says that the majority of the blacks were assigned to the toughest and dirtiest jobs in the Navy, in the deck yep. force and on the flight deck, while white while the whites were populated more with the covenant and higher tech jobs in the crew, which we yep. which we already talked about. So these yep. so these black sailors got pissed off and decided to go through and start an onslaught of just beating up white sailors throughout the ship from uh, about from about eight o'clock. They got that night. They got that Nat Turner spirit in them. Is what happened. 
<laughs> exactly. And they said that they were going around, they had pipes and broom handles, and they were just beating whoever, whatever white person came across them, um, they they were beating, they started beating them up. And it all started because a West, uh, a white mess cook decided that he was going to tell a black, uh, a black sailor that he couldn't get another sandwich from the mess hall. Right. And the guy took right. it, he took, so the black sailor was like, enough of this, he took another sandwich. We know we've been on the boat. You can eat how much you want, you know. Right. So he took another sandwich, and then all hell broke loose. Yeah, um, as it should have. As, as it should have. So, so as the rumors were getting spread around, the white sailors felt that it wasn't safe for them to be out, let alone go to bed that night. Now, I don't understand how, you know, 297 black sailors could put the fear of God and about four thousand white sailors. They felt for their life. Are, are you being it. facetious, or you really don't see how? Oh well, I'm being facetious. <laughs> really, okay, really. <laughs> I was like, "What you?" I was like, "Wait a minute, what you saying?" I see how. Are we gonna just talk around it, or are we gonna address it? Because I know no, exactly what you're I know being. I'm I'm a I'm a black man of a large stature. You know, I'm retired. I didn't got fat, but hey, it ain't all fat. I got some muscle. I got wide shoulders. One black man in a room full of white men, and I see how the fear creeps in. Oh my God. And he's intelligent. He's going to take my job. They'll never say that to me, but their eyes say it all. In the military, when you come in and you're halfway decent at what you do and you have a personality, that is the biggest fear to them. They, white mediocrity gets praised while black excellence gets, you know, overlooked. And it's not that we need them to acknowledge our black excellence. We know that we meet the standard. We exceed the standard, and we're still being treated substandard. Uh, people that are listening to this, I challenge you, if you're active duty, and especially if you're on a ship, go to the quarterdeck. Look at the restriction board. Look at the people that are on restriction. Nine times out of ten, they're black. Majority of the restriction board, which is equivalent to um, uh, incarceration in the military, but majority of the restriction board is black, and it's always been that way. Do you really think that's not on purpose? They intentionally criminalize, criminalize anything and everything that black sailors do while they allow a few white sailors to get caught in the fray, but most of them, the things they do get swept under the rug. The the last McPon was never supposed to be the McPon because he had an incident as a first class that he should have never been even considered to be McPon, but they gave it to him anyway, and he wasn't qualified. They passed up. The most qualified uh, candidate was April Beldo, a very intelligent very influential black woman that would have changed the face of the Navy. They passed that woman over, and she retired. I'm telling you, I was holding with bated breath for an announcement that she was the McPon or being considered. I met her on my last deployment, and I told her how much she inspires me. So I look at what's happening here. If you look at diversity among the command, there are far more white people in the Navy. But what you'll notice is you'll see diversity in the lower ranks, but as you start to move up, especially in 
technical communities and whatnot. Communities where your your skills you acquire in the military translate directly to um, high-paying jobs in the civilian world. Those types of things, they do not allow very many black people in, especially black people that refuse to um, submit to the way that white America does business. I'm not European-American. Why would I talk like you? Why would I look like you, act like you? I don't want to be like you, and I don't want you to be like me. But that type of thinking is inflammatory to them. You understand what I'm saying? Anytime you start bringing up the fact that a black man or a black woman that's passionate about something that they're doing or something that they're experiencing, and they're, we are more naturally expressive. Go look at a church. We, everything we do, we, we put dubs on it. That's how black people are. That is part of our spirit. That's what makes us so spiritually grounded is because we feel and we express ourselves when we feel those things. But regardless, many of us that understand that we're doing things that deserve equal pay and equal advancement, we get passed over. And then we're being told that we have an attitude because we're angry at the fact that we're feeling disenfranchised. And then when you when you act on that anger, then they paint you with that trope that you're an angry angry black man or angry black woman. You got an attitude problem. But when a white guy does it, when Tom Brady gets angry, see his passion. But when Cam Newton gets angry, he he got to work on that. He's got an attitude. You know, we, we all know it's the same way in the military as it is. The the military is a microcosm of America. We've had that discussion before, right? Yeah, exactly, <clears throat> exactly. And I think I think for 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 black people um, that are in the military, and like I said, you and I we can't really speak for the Air Force and the Army and the Marines. Right. I wouldn't. We, we, we I, and I wouldn't dare do that because I don't know the the the, the dynamics of it. But as far as the Navy goes, <clears throat> we know for a fact that when black people start to move up in ranks. They try to silence your voice. They want you to conform to the to the policies and the way that they want it. They call it the Navy way. And mm-hmm. when you have people like yourself and myself who are not going to do that, they tend to kind of alienate and ostracize, and exactly. they do it in a manner. They do it in a manner where it can't be really seen, like uh, to the to the naked eye, like out in public, because they do it. In your written evaluation, where you because that's where the subtlety, that's the very subtlety of white supremacy, is that they have to hide it behind something else so that you can't call it racism. Oh no, that's not it. You didn't, you didn't go to this, take this course, or you didn't do this thing. But they have a way of utilizing what's already in place to to benefit you or disenfranchise you, depending on if they like you or not. If you will set the fetch hard enough, they'll they'll give you whatever because they know you're not a threat. But the minute you come in unapologetically black, you can't do that in this system. It's designed that when people do that, the red flags go up, and everybody across the Navy, when it comes to advance, they're like, hey, this one right here, nope, 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 nope. And like you said, they know how to code it in your evaluation. One of my first evaluations, I don't know if I ever told you this, one of my first evaluations as a nuclear-trained mechanical engineer in the Navy is that I needed prodding to do daily cleaning. And when I read that in my evaluation, I lost my natural mind. 
I said, what am I, a cow? And my cattle, I said, I thought chattel slavery was over. This is back in like 99. I was like, what do you mean I need prodding to clean? What does that even mean? And they all got so embarrassed, and they walked me out of the office and told me, you know, just calm down, this and that. You don't tell no angry person to calm down. So I was like, what do you mean? What is this natural prodding? What, what the hell are you talking about? And I think it shocked them that I was so against that. But I said, no, leave it in there. Leave it in there. They tried to change it. They gave me another email. I said, no, I want the original one. Go ahead and put it in there so that I can show people what y'all what y'all say. I'm going to find that eval, and I'm going to share it with you just so you can see what I'm saying. It's been going on. You know, I was what they consider a unicorn in my community because the average rate in the Navy, say, has 15 20% are black. In mine, it was like less than 10 less than 5% for a very long time. In the nuclear community, we didn't – people always assumed that, I, you know, you had the – non-nukes or the conventional mechanics and then the nuclear mechanics. So the nuclear mechanics were predominantly white. The conventional mechanics were predominantly black. And then when they meet you, they go, oh, yeah, you're a conventional. And I would let them believe that because I'm like, why did you assume that? Literally, the only metric you use to arrive at the fact that I was a conventional or you thought I was a conventional is because I'm black. And then after a while, they start to figure out, no, wait a minute, you, you, you're a nuke? And I'm like, you never even really asked me, or when you ask me, you assume wrong, so I let you assume wrong since your implicit bias already. I, I would use that that um, one example to show them. See how dangerous implicit bias is when you meet a black person and you automatically assume that they're below you or they're less intelligent than you or they're less resourceful than you. You miss out on a valuable commodity in, in the workforce in general. That is scared white people since the Reconstruction era. Exactly. And then, you know, they, you know, we have those small wins, right? So, so, and, but the, the biggest thing that I, I've seen, especially in my career, is that, and I, and I kind of touched on it earlier, so I kind of wanted to bring it back around. When you get into the ranks that you and I are achieved, it really, really becomes, a problem because we go against the norm. And the issue that I take with other black people, especially those who, who achieve senior enlisted and officer ranks in an age, is why are you silent on the issues that affect the young black sailors? And and some 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 and we talked about this you have like the little mafia cliques, right? As we call them, like mm -hmm. we call the Filipino, mm -hmm. we call them the Filipino mafia. And for those people the who good are old boy network, the good old boy network and the Filipino mafia, right? So mm -hmm. what we talk about is you have a pipeline from the senior enlisted and the officers who look at their actual lineages and their and their national nationalities in the navy, and they basically bring them bring them into the fold, coddle, coddle them, and then work them through the system so they can achieve the exact same thing. And it's like a pipeline. It just keeps going. They just keep filtering, find another one, bring them in, uplift them, make sure they get straight with the qualifications and everything else, and they push them along so they can go and, and go grab somebody else. Yeah. For some reason, and it's a proven system, it's a proven system. For some reason, black 
chief petty officers, black officers, have an issue reaching back to get young black sailors and to bring them into a network of mentoring and training them so they can be the next generational leaders in the Navy. It's, mm-hmm. it's always, we're, we're always cutthroat. So we would, we would diminish and destroy and, and denigrate our own people for white supremacy and don't realize we're doing it. But then you want, they want, some say, some people will hide behind it and say that we, what we're trying to do is something considered like nepotism. And I take offense to that because we, you and I both believe that those sailors, those young black sailors could turn out to be the next Nick Pond, the next Admiral, the next CNO, whatever it is, if they got the training earlier and had people like us to make sure that they don't conform to the, to the way the Navy uh, wants them to conform or get caught up in turning their back on people that look like them. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Um, that's a further subset of the, the system put in place in the military. So when you – okay, let me back up a little bit. Neely Fully, Fuller Jr., Neely Fuller Jr., I don't know why I couldn't say his name, but this brother – that if you don't understand how white supremacy works, everything else will confuse you. So what white and black America see through the civil rights era, because, you know, once we start mentioning equality, racial equity, things like that, people love to run to Martin Luther King, but it's like they'll talk to Martin Luther King pre-letter um, from a Birmingham jail. They'll they'll go Martin Luther King pre poor man's march, sanitation workers like the things that he was doing later in his life he was going after tangible benefit. He the very motto, we ain't got no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, only permanent interests. We come into Washington to get our check. He didn't say those words exactly, but that's what he was doing was investing in he even reached out to poor white people and said hey this is affecting y'all too so come on let's band together so in the military when you have black men that have that presence of mind to say hey we're gonna have to look back and take care of our sailors enough black chiefs are not standing up and fighting for their sailors at the disciplinary review boards because you know they get up in there and tear us to shreds and the black leadership just sits there and says nothing but then when the filipino sailor comes in they go in there and fight. They don't always win, but they go in there and fight for them. Hey, hey, give that one to me. I, I, I'm going to work with them. I'll handle them. I'll help them, you know, to, you know, recover from this. They might not get advanced right away, but we don't want to tarnish their record. That is literally what they're doing is influencing and impacting these sailors' lives because they see value in preserving their culture and their people. Like something about in the military, people go, well, we're all blue. That's a damn lie because when we go home, we take them uniforms off. We deal with a lot of black issues. So it's, it's, it's awfully convenient for black senior leaders to say we're all blue. They don't think that. The good old boy network wouldn't exist if they really thought that we were all blue. The Filipino mafia wouldn't exist if they really thought we all were equal in their eyes. We are not equal. We are all under that system that we have to fight, and it's not doom and gloom. I don't want to make it sound like that, but we have a duty and a responsibility 
to stand against these things and stop trying to placate to white fragility. When white people get offended about stuff, why don't you go ahead and run, drill it down a little bit and ask, why are you so offended? Does my blackness offend you? Because when you start looking at the people that get offended when we have these conversations, those people are part of the problem. Those are the main troublemakers in the military that tell sailors, hey, you can't get another sandwich and cause us to lose our natural minds on them because it, it's intentionally meant to provoke you. Those microaggressions in the military, you see them in every, every section of your life. You know, if you are in barracks, if you go to the gym, if you're at your command, if you go to the galley, if you go anywhere on base and you're a black person, you better be wearing some identifiable gear because the police will run up and harass you just like you was walking down the street in Detroit. You, you understand what I'm saying? So us black people that have experienced that in our career and we know these things, why don't we go and stand up for them sailors when we know, I'm not saying everybody's right, but the people that are are innocent, why do we let them be um, railroaded into taking, uh, um, uh, what do they do it? like the pre-mass agreements. I saw that on the ship before. That was literally people in the military copping a plea. That's what it was akin to. They're like, if you cop this plea, we'll give you a reduced sentence. That's exactly what they were doing. And no black person on, at that command was saying anything about it. I was like, this is illegal. I've never heard of this at any other command at anywhere. And y'all are doing things. And the only reason that they are doing it is, is more like what Dr. King said. Good men are standing by idly allowing evil men to do what they're doing and you're not fighting against it. You're, you're, you're being silent in the face of oppression. Anybody that's silent in the face of oppression is a coward, period. Exactly. And we see that a lot, especially with the senior ranks when it comes to seeing uh, uh, enlisted blacks as well as black officers. We, we, there's not a lot of us. So when we have the opportunity to be in those spaces, we have to be able to speak up and speak truth to whatever it is that's going on. And I get very, very frustrated and I get really, really pissed off because I don't see black, the blacks, the, the, the senior enlisted blacks and the senior officers who are black being unapologetically black. It's like you want to be black when you're around black people. You get what I'm saying? So you want to you yeah. mask yourself and being black and being unapologetically black because you feel comfortable because you're around your people. But as yeah. soon as you get in front of white folks, you want to you, – your butt get tight, and all of a sudden now you don't want to speak up no more. And and I because we know that uh, – when I posed that question in that group, I, I got a few officers that, that, that chimed in. And his one, one particular brother was a commander, and he kind of went all about the political way. And I knew that it was going to be political. And I wanted to say, that's not what I'm asking you. If, if we're all in this space and we see the, the wrongs that are going on, we see that we don't have a lot of black admirals. All right, Michelle Howard is like a unicorn. All right, she got to be vice CNO, but they didn't think that she could be CNO, so she went home. Right. Um, you had yep. April Beldo, just like you said, she was a, she was a fourth master chief, fleet master chief, everybody in the Navy, even white folks who, who were chief petty officers knew that she was the most 
qualified, qualified person for the position. It had nothing to do with breaking a glass ceiling, had nothing to do with anything. On paper, if you just put her resume up against anybody, any of the other masterpieces that were up for Mick Pond at the time, she was w- way more qualified. So we can throw the qualification part out of the mix because they don't care about qualification. What mm-hmm. it came down to, what it came down to was that they were not ready to have a black Mick Pond whatsoever. And that's what it came down to. So, one thing I noticed is when I was on the Roosevelt, they had a lot of racial issues prior to me coming there. Down to the point where you had the little country white boys thought it was funny to put on a hood and chase this black man through through the, the plant. And they all got in trouble. They went to mass. They all of them ended up bouncing back from it. But they had to do something to them. But there was all kind of racial, um, gender biased things. Um, and when I got there, like I put that shot across the bow. I said, show me who y'all really are. If you're a racist, I'm ready for you because I will make it my personal mission to kick you out. If you think you're tough enough, come on, let's roll. And a few of them, they got angry. Of course, they tried to report me, but nothing I said was against the rules. However, it did get their attention that, hey, you know, the only way to truly fix these issues, because clearly if white people want to fix it, they would have fixed it already. So we're like, okay, since y'all don't want to fix it, put us in the position and watch how we fix it. They don't want to do that either because then it's really going to make them look bad. If you get to a point where you take away every excuse, like you were just saying, it ain't about the qualifications. It ain't about this. It ain't about that. What is it about this? It comes down to race is one of the founding principles in the decisions they make when they pick a leader. But how's this going to look? They're, they're more afraid of the pushback from the good old boy network than being able to do the right thing. People that are some of your star players. Uh, remember we were talking about how in the military making chief is a big deal. And every one of the, you being one of them, Every one of the people that I've known that that attained the rank of chief that was selected by a board, an arduous process to be selected, all three of the brothers I know that got their anchors taken away were black. And I was like, what's the odds of that? That type of thing, if it's rare, you should kind of see that across the board. But we, we know what we're dealing with. We're, we know fully what we're dealing with in this sense because – they do things and they blame it on something else, but they use that to get a hold of us to try to break us. But the most powerful thing you can do is fight back while you're still in, because now that I'm retired, I still have a voice, but I don't have the voice that those black leaders have on the deck plates that put it in their ears. Like, Hey, don't do this. Don't do that. I got your back, but you got to give me something to work with. Nobody's saying that to a lot of these black sailors. And that's what what they need to hear. They need to see that they have support. And then a lot of the problems that are alleged will simply just disappear if it's real. The perception of it is the problem. You understand what I'm saying? They'll say, hey, this guy, he's got an anger problem. No, he doesn't. He's tired of dealing with your foolishness, and he doesn't know how to hold it in anymore. 
if y'all stop treating him like he's a second-class citizen while he's serving in the military, then maybe you get a more productive sailor. Exactly, bro. So when we talk about being unapologetically black, what do you think are the the next steps for any black sailor that, that – uh, any black person in general that wants to come into the Navy, what do you think they, they should be doing in order to be able to express themselves and deal with all the issues of being black in the Navy? Uh, that's a, a multifaceted question, but it's very important. Um, going into it with the mature mindset that you are going to encounter pushback, and the pushback more likely is going to come from people that look like you, people that come from similar backgrounds as you, and that doesn't mean by any means that you should relent. But just be prepared to have the the uh, token get pushed out in front of you to say whatever the wardroom is saying, to say whatever the chief's mess is saying, because they're afraid. You don't have to be angry. you got to learn composure. But be with people under mentorship and with a, a team of people that are like-minded. That is the best advice I can give you. Search those out that, that espouse similar values about you know, being unapologetically black and still being able to be a sailor. Everyone else gets to express their culture. And then comes Martin Luther King, I'm sorry, uh, um, Black History Month. And then they have the chicken and Kool-Aid and they think that's progress. That still happens in the military to this day. And there's a lot of misconceptions about things. People don't, it's not a matter of arguing, yelling, nothing productive comes from that. But if you have people of a present mindset that are willing to discuss some measure, to at least to some extent, black issues in the presence of non-black people, a lot of black people in the military, they'll start talking about black issues, things that we all relate to. White people come around and go, shh, shh, don't say nothing. You don't have to hide your hand. I mean, you can if you want, but that just reaffirms to them that, you, you fear them. You don't have to fear them. Stand up for yourself. Exactly. Like, like you can show because I think I think a lot of times that's what they want to see us do. They wanna they want us to to be in those tropes. They want to have the mm-hmm. angry black man, right? They know mm-hmm. that we because most of the times when we get out of boot camp or, or OCS. As, as black men, we're already going to be looking like physical specimens. We're going to, you know, and we're coming from a background. Most most of the black black people who join the navy come from backgrounds that look similar to regular society, right? You have the you have the black kids who go to college that are coming from single parent homes. Well, you have the exact same thing going on in the navy. You have uh, they they don't have those male role models, so they come into the navy. Uh, dealing with all the the stressors from from their community, and then mm-hmm. now now here they here they are in the navy, and they're having to try to make adult decisions without any type of mentorship, and it, mm-hmm. and it usually and and it usually we see it with the junior sailors because you mentioned it earlier. You said if you go to the quarter deck of any navy ship, you will see that it's disproportionately black when it comes to the discipline. And the restriction that's going on in the Navy. Well, that, that, that goes straight to the school to prison pipeline. It is nothing mm-hmm. different 
then somebody out, some black person out in the streets um, having to deal with societal issues and then having to deal with white supremacy at the exact same time and getting themselves mm-hmm. caught up in, in, in the system. And we have that mm-hmm. same exact system in the Navy. And um, so to those the callers that are listening, let us be perfectly clear. Just because somebody's in the, in the military doesn't mean that they're not dealing with these white supremacist issues. We have to remain apolitical at work, right? So we can't talk about politics. We can't talk about religion. We can't talk about any any of these things. But people are using their political views, the way they look at African Americans, um, every single negative connotation, the stereotype that they have had to deal with as being non-black. They're bringing that and bringing those biases to black people. So... Um, sometimes we have to kind of bite our tongue and not go full on black in the sense that we can't, we, we can't show our true, true colors because for fear of reprisal and reprimand. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, so is there anything else that you would like to tell the listeners? Um, because we, we can talk about this all night. Um, yeah. the, the, be it, I think being unapologetically black in the, in the Navy means that you hold on to your, your truth. You hold on to everything that you know, and you still have to navigate the exact same way that you would do it in, in society. And don't allow people to, to get you out of character or make you get into character so that way they can say, hey, there, there you go. There, there go another black dude. Um, so what is your take on that? Like, what, what, what do you uh-huh. see? What do you? How do you see uh, holding on to your to, to to your culture and your truth and being your your unapologetically self while still trying to deal with everything else that's going around? I mean that's a great question and and it it it's different. It's not a a one size fits all solution. Um, however, like I said, proper mentorship. Um, I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but I would say without the proper mentorship, these were black men that I served with that true leaders that speak up and represent for us when they know that we can't represent ourselves. So, and for the women, the sisters that understand what it's like to be a young black woman in the military, being subjected to the things you're subjected to, find proper mentorship. That's one of the best things you can do when you are under mentorship and you are in the process of mentoring someone behind you. That's how you mature yourself as a leader. That's why, like, you got to make leadership like like second nature where you want to make the proper choices without thinking a long time about it because you weigh all your options before you even start to do it. So as soon as things start to go the way that it appears to go, you have a contingency plan. So when you're in the military, everyone, most people that join don't plan on staying or retire. But my advice would be to to stay as if you plan your career as if you're going to retire. Because even if you get out, you're still going to set yourself up for more success on the outside. So don't be afraid to speak up and fight for those that need you to speak up and fight for them. Don't worry about what punishment may come. You will see your reward, even if it's not in advancement. You are going to affect change of those coming after you. And, and uh, you know, trying to sound, I'm 40 now, right? So 
I'm working on my wise anecdotes, but I don't want it to be contrived. I want it to be sincere. And at, at my point where I was before I retired, I started looking and reaching way back to the ones that just joined. And I said, let me share with you things that I wish I would have done across these 20 years that will put me in a even better. I was set up nice, but I think I would have been in an even better position if I did this. I want you to keep in touch with me and tell me if you are actually doing these things. I, I'm going to do for you what I wish somebody would have done for me is like, I'm not going to just tell you to do it, pat you on the back and walk away. I'm going to hold you accountable for it. So when I call you and I talk to you about it, that you're not saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm still working. No, show me. You know what I mean? That type of accountability, those are the only people, people that come from the same areas that you came from that understand what it's like being black and in the military. I mean, it's it's some cognitive dissonance always happening right there where you're trying to preserve your blackness and you realize how um, – how in the struggle for equality that we're viewed as um, anti-establishment. You know what I mean? This establishment, we're anti-establishment, but we want order and discipline, but not at the expense of black lives. We want black people to have equity and be restored. All the, the damage is done. We demand repair. And a part of that happens in the military. You have all these interpersonal relationships with people of all races and people from all over the world, nationalities and whatnot. But don't ever think that you can't get some wisdom and give some wisdom to people when you interact with them. Don't don't go through the military acting as if you can just be on an island by yourself. You have to connect with people and only really rock with those that really rock with you. You know, I could go on and on and get more about it, but um, I'm still in the business of mentoring sailors because it's a very, very, very important task because those are the people that are helping shape, um, you know, the future for what it's like to be black in this country. They can't say anything that they haven't done, we haven't done, and to some extent we do it better. So we're demanding that equity, not just equality, we want equity in what we've invested into everything in this country. And, you know, the military is a good stepping stone. When you get out of the military, uh, being a vet post-military, I, Mark, I think that's a whole nother conversation we should have because there are a lot of people that need help and guidance once they get out. And the, the measures that are in place right now are trash. People say, well, thank you for your service. But there's not a lot of action behind it to show the vets that, that they're appreciated. So that's something we, we need to explore in the future. Oh, definitely. And full disclosure, I have to tell the people who are listening to this podcast that you were a mentor to me. You know, um, when, when we first met, um, I was a second class and I think they, they brought you into the recruiting station. They kind of, kind of wrangled me in. And I think that we had like, a, uh, you know, we had the black master chief who was there, Matthew Randolph, Randolph. Mm -hmm. and he, mm -hmm. he saw something in me, but he couldn't really come out and say, yo, you need to be acting like this. Let me put somebody in there that can get to him on a day-to-day -day basis to kind of steer him in the way that I want him to go because mm -hmm. he needs to recover. And, you know, through it all, through it all, through that mentorship, through learning how to deal with uh, uh, people, because I was at that point in my career, I think I was, I was just holding on for dear life, trying to stay in the Navy and like, you know what, mm -hmm. I'm ready to get out of this crap because I, 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 
I, I it's so much I want to say. There's so much I want to mm. say, but I can't say it. And you were you were that person that came in and said, okay, you can be yourself, but watch watch the people that you you interact with. Watch the people mm-hmm. that are, are 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 saying negative stuff about you. Watch those folks and don't get into it with these people because they want to get you out of character. And mm-hmm. that is the advice I give to uh, young black sailors when I see them. Don't let them get you out of character. You know, you can you can be yourself. You can um, you can succeed in the navy if you learn to play by the rules. And it's not their mm-hmm. rules. It's, it's the rules. It's the rules of being black, being unapologetically black in mm-hmm. in the navy. So, um, but you know, we can talk about this all night. Uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm going to have you back on because there's a lot more topics we could talk about besides just being black in the military. Um, of course. So I'm going to end this tonight. Um, but thank you so much for uh, for for being being on the show tonight. Any last words? Make sure you take some time today and order on Amazon or go pick it up in a bookstore, whatever. You need to read Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. Read uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson's The Miseducation of the Negro and The Education of the Negro. Both of those books are critical. If you read Dr. James Cone's work, if you read Critical Race Theory uh, by Derrick Bell, I, I strongly recommend that if you haven't been reading, there are people that have been talking about our issues for decades and we're not listening. James Baldwin said to be black and somewhat conscious in this country is to be in a constant state of rage. So when I look at people that have no rage, it makes me wonder how much do you really even know it should enrage you, but you got to be able to control that fire inside you at all times. Let it fuel you, but don't let it consume you. All right. Peace. All right. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show tonight. Uh, next week, we will have another show coming on. It's going to be a great show. I'm going to have my man, Ibrahim Tanner, um, from um, ADOS Indianapolis on the show. We're going to talk about uh, what these Republicans are doing over in, over in Indiana, trying to give people a black agenda. So once again, my name is Mark Stevenson. Uh, I want to thank my uh, my um, callers today, Jason Scott, for coming on and talking about mm-hmm. being unapologetically black in the military. Sign hey. out. Peace. Not to Detroit, the whole East Side.